This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Happy Hanukkah, Professor Gershon. Thank you, Liz, and uh, an early Merry Christmas to everyone who, uh, who celebrates Christmas. It's uh, it's a fun time of year for, for everyone, and I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And I know you're traveling this week, so you're calling to us or zooming in with, from uh, Arizona. So I hope that trip goes well for you. I am. I think that what the next six weeks for everybody, it's it's uh, in addition to pandemic and holidays, uh, it's going to be a free for all for the next until the middle of January. It will. It will. But uh, today, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the show today because we're, we're honored to have uh, Chancery Court Judge uh, Troy Odom uh, back on the show. And, and Judge Odom, uh, good morning. It's, it's so good to have you here. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a judge? Well, it's uh, great to have the gang back together. Good to uh, see and hear from you, Miss Gill, even if you're so far away on the other side of the country. Uh, listen, I'm uh, having a great day. I've been on the bench all day today and uh, will be for the rest of the day. I'm glad to have this brief reprieve. Change Court Judge in Rankin County, one of three, was elected back in 2018. As a matter of fact, just had my three-year anniversary just the other day. So um, uh, you're in Rankin County, and that's the totality of where my uh, of where my district is. So I'm just glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And and could you remind us a little bit about people talk about the uh, the different court systems in Mississippi and the Chancery Court uh, handles what times what types of cases? Well, the Chancery Court handles uh, court, uh, cases of equity. So the vast majority of the cases that this court hears are domestic relations type cases. I would say about seventy five percent. Then about uh, ten to fifteen percent are estate matters and then the rest are appeals from various administrative agencies or real property type matters so uh, you definitely handle i, I really i think the, the the people problems a lot of times and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today when we talk about uh, the task force um, you, you, we're going to focus on the work of the task force studying and recommending changes to domestic relations laws in mississippi and how is that task force selected well, it's great because this is the, the domestic relations task force is just one of a few that the legislature created. Most of the attention has been on the uh, reapportionment and uh, other types of uh, criminal reform task forces. Uh, but the domestic relations task force has kind of gone under the radar. It was selected by uh, the members were selected, excuse me, by uh, the governor. Uh, by the Chief Justice of the Mississippi Supreme Court, Chief Judge of the Court of Appeals, the uh, Mississippi Bar Association made quite a few appointments to the Domestic Relations Task Force. We also have um, 
members that were appointed by Department of Human Services as well. So it's, it was a, a broad spectrum of who got to appoint members to this task force. Now, I know my, my good friend and colleague, Debbie Bell, was a member of this, this uh, task force, and uh, you know, she's been a frequent guest on the show and, and uh, an expert in domestic relations law. Um, who, who else was on the, on the task force besides, uh, besides you and, uh, and Professor Bell? Uh, we have two Chantry Court judges, uh, myself and Judge Jennifer Slogel from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, we have a representative from the Supreme Court being Justice Griffiths. We have a representative from the Court of Appeals being Judge McCarty. And then we have various experienced family law practitioners from all throughout the state. Uh, we have a Professor Kennedy also representing uh, an appointment from the Mississippi College School of Law. And thank goodness we have Professor Debbie Bell representing the University of Mississippi School of Law. No one better or more intelligent or more experienced uh, to be on that task force than Professor Bell. Um, and then uh, there were also uh, some very specific appointees that were interested in guardian ad litems or that had experience in governmental benefits that might be able to provide um, some substance to our discussions. And um, so, I mean, really, it's, I think, and, and you're one of the co-chairs of this, this committee, uh, this task force, so we're really, really lucky to have you on today. And I think it's important that a chancery court judge uh, had, had such an important role in this because you're, you're the court that sees uh, domestic relations cases. And um, so when are your recommendations due? When are the task force recommendations due? The recommendations are due tomorrow. December 1 was our deadline provided for in the bill which created the task force, and that is one of the deadlines that I was going to be sure that we met so that the legislature has no excuse on not looking at any and all of the recommendations that the task force has made because, like you said, we really do believe uh, that this is important work that they need to consider. This morning, we're talking about Mississippi's new family law task force that's going to study recommended changes in domestic relations laws. You can send us your questions by email, uh, legalterms at mpbonline.org. And we do have a call. It's from Jane. She's calling from the Jackson metro area. Jane, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Yes, I do have a question. Is there any way that I can find out if a Mississippi resident is divorced? Well, uh, other than just asking them, I would imagine that all, you know, filings in the Chantry Court are public with the exception of cases involving uh, abuse or neglect to the child. Uh, so I, I don't think that there's anything that would prevent any person from going to the chancery court clerk of the residence of the person you're inquiring about to see if a divorce had been filed there. Okay. Uh, certain so aspects I, of it. May, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I would go to the chancery court in the area in which the person lives. The, the county in which the person lived, the Chantry Court clerk, or Chantry clerk, really, 
uh, is the um, the holder of the, the the files. They are the ones that protect the files and keep the files. Uh, and you know our courts are open to the public, except in like I said, very limited circumstances where we have to protect the interests of a child. Could it be done through be, uh, the computer? Could I check um, without having to talk to anyone? Could I could I check via the internet? Uh, I do not believe you can. I think that the, the first thing I would do would be to call over to the Chantry Clerk's office and inquire via the telephone to see that may be the okay. quickest and uh, way to do so without having to go in person. But no, uh, th those files are not readily available online uh, to the general public at this point in time. Thank you. Sure. Judge Odom, I have a, a kind of a follow-up question for that. You know, when there's a divorce, there's two parties. Is it filed in both the counties of residence of the two individuals or just the person who files first? Well, it, it depends. Well, like any good attorney, I'll say it depends. Uh, the jurisdictional requirements are uh, that, I mean, it would be filed in the residence of one of the parties, right? Uh, at the time that they were separated or at the time that they file for the divorce. Now, you know, Jane may have an issue if that person got divorced out of state or moved counties. So it's really no way of searching the entire statewide network to see if a divorce has been filed for some person. You're just going to have to go from county clerk to county clerk to county clerk uh, until that's uh, changed. You can send us your questions by email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are discussing family law reforms. What's the statistics nationally for marriage and divorce? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Participate in Giving Tuesday this year by donating your unwanted vehicle to MPB. The proceeds from your donation will help us continue to bring you more hours of programming on MPB Think Radio and MPB TV. Our vehicle donation program makes donating easy with a free and convenient pickup, plus we'll handle all the paperwork too. Call 877-MPB-4CAR or visit mpbf.careasy.org. is in legal terms not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show on our website in legal terms dot mpbonline.org 
Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, marriage and divorce data from the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Who, who knew that's where you went? I think it was there were about 2 million marriages, and their marriage rate was 6.1 per 1,000 total populations. And for divorces, there were about 750,000 divorces in 2019, and that was uh, 45 states reported that information and the District of Columbia. So that makes the divorce rate 2.7 per 1,000 population. This morning, we're talking about the work of a new family law task force with our guest, uh, Judge Troy Odom. And the, the task force, as we've mentioned, some of the people is composed of judges, attorneys, child advocates, and law professors. They're studying models used by other states for child support, child care, and support expenses. And their goal is to analyze current trends of law regarding no-fault divorce, child support payments past the age of majority for disabled children, and costs for guardians in litem who represent the best interests of the children. Judge, let's, let's talk about some of the specific uh, goals and, and recommendations that you have as a task force. And maybe the, the first one we should start with is, is no-fault divorce, because Mississippi is one of uh, just two states that I understand uh, still require fault-based grounds. Um, are, are there any recommendations regarding that for coming out of the task force? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned it first, because that's precisely the position that the task force placed it on its things to do list. That was something that I believe every single person in that task that's on the task force believed was a significant issue for the state of Mississippi. Uh, and they wanted to address uh, first and definitively at uh, your, uh, you know, it, it, I, Professor Bell is going to want me to make sure that I explain that uh, when we talk about no-fault divorces, uh, some people think about a true no-fault divorce, which would allow one spouse to obtain a divorce without the consent of the other, with or without. Uh, most states have some, like a quasi uh uh, no fault divorce statute that still requires a showing of fault. It's just a lower uh, threshold. Mississippi has a very high threshold of the type of evidence that must be shown in order to obtain a divorce on fault grounds. Otherwise, both parties have to uh, agree to an ID or irreconcilable differences divorce. In Mississippi, you got to prove by clear and convincing evidence, which as you know, Dean, is a very high standard for every fault ground for divorce with the exception of habitual cruel and inhuman treatment, which has a lower but still steep preponderance of the evidence uh, threshold. Uh, neighboring states and the majority of other states have uh, a lower threshold for fault uh, for example, our neighbor uh, to the east, Alabama, uses a uh, 
irretrievably broken standard, which is a much lower threshold uh, in order to obtain a divorce on those grounds than a habitual cruel and inhuman treatment ground. Uh, or uh, they have a complete incompatibility standard. Mississippi does not have that. You can be completely incompatible, uh, but not entitled to a divorce in the state of Mississippi. Those were the type of issues that we see problems with. Those of us that are on the bench, those of us that deal with the clients that have to deal with the consequences. And so we wanted to address that first and immediately. So from what you've seen on the bench, why, why might a more Alabama style no fault or, or Florida style no fault, lots of states have, have a, you know, that, that system uh, with a lower standard be better for the parties ultimately? Well, here is the main thing that I see from the bench because it is so difficult to obtain a divorce on fault grounds uh, and because the marriage may be irretrievably broken. There is no likelihood of success or uh, reconciliation in a divorce, but you're still not entitled to it under the fault grounds of the state of Mississippi as they presently stand. That ends up causing damage inadvertently to the family unit. You have individuals who are separated, living apart, uh, who are being financially damaged or whose children are being damaged by not being able to have a meaningful relationship with the others, with their other parent that's not living with them without a court order in place to help guide them. Or we've seen that spouses uh, who you know, readily admit that the marriage is broken, but won't agree to a divorce uh, to use as blackmail to get a lower alimony state uh, payment or uh, to try to get uh, a different child custody agreement or to try to lower their child support obligations. There is a lot of abuse that we see as the result of the uh, sometimes impossible standard to meet even in a, a marriage that everybody agrees is, is not uh, not in existence anymore. And there's a ton of other reasons. I mean, there are financial reasons that take place uh, in a separated family. Uh, one of the things that Professor Bell uh, was adamant about was to remember those that are in abusive relationships, forcing them to remain in an abusive marriage uh, and that, that may not be able to get a divorce uh, under the grounds as they presently are today in the state of Mississippi. And abuse takes many forms, as I've seen from the bench, um, emotional as well as physical. So there, there are a plethora of reasons uh, why we need reform in that area. If you have a question about the work of the task force, what they've been thinking about, what they're considering on revising the marriage and divorce laws for Mississippi, we would love for you to email us your question. It's legalterms at mpbonline.org. And this is such a great conversation. We're so lucky to have Judge Odom here and such an important topic. And, and Judge, you, you talked about all the good reasons why we would uh, change the system to, to be more like other states with their uh, quasi-no-fault systems. But 
What are the arguments for retaining the current fault-based system? Well, the, the Mississippi is a, a very conservative state, and of course, I wasn't in the legislature when uh, the fault grounds were passed, or never have, or never been in the legislature. But that's up for the legislature to determine. I imagine reading the Supreme Court cases and other appellate court cases that you know we still value the sanctity and the the position of marriage, and we don't want it to be discarded inadvertently for no reason at all. So the desire to maintain a marital relationship for better or for worse till death do we part, I'm sure is the main driving factor behind uh, a lot of the the, the fault, uh, the divorce statutes in the state of Mississippi. It just has unintended consequences that hurt the children and, and the, the people involved in that marriage that maybe aren't all, always thought about. And you're on the front line of that, uh, you know, with the cases that you hear and you see uh, what happens in families. Um, and so uh, it really is good that you're on this task force for sure. So what, what are the- I, 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 I see the results. And, and probably every day, I would imagine, or almost every day in your courtroom. Absolutely. Now, what, what, are the, what are the next uh, steps once the task force makes a recommendation? You mentioned uh, it's up to uh, the legislature. So when the task force makes its recommendations, what, what happens? Okay, so let's get specific. The, the, the task force is making a recommendation to adopt a irretrievably broken uh, or a complete incompatibility standard, a much lower standard uh, for obtaining a fault-based uh, divorce. And we're also throwing out the, the alternative to the legislature uh, for a true no-fault divorce if that's what the legislature decides to do. That's what they were elected to do to make these uh, tough decisions. Uh, we're just making the recommendations, but we've made that recommendation, and we've made it um, strenuously, uh, at, at hoping that they take um, make some movement on that this year. We've made some other recommendations as it relates to child support and um, uh, uh, other matters like that. To answer your question direct, the report and recommendation is due tomorrow. It'll be transmitted to the lieutenant governor and the governor and the speaker of the house and the uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court for them to consider. And then for the legislature, they'll take it from there. And um, I know you probably don't have the timeline on that, but uh, typically what would you expect in terms of when might this become law? Because that I think that is, a, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's the recommendation. I know uh, I know Professor Bell would, would agree with that. Um, and both of those recommendations that you mentioned, the alternative as well, but how, how long do you think it takes to go through the legislature to, uh, to become law? Well, I'm assuming that action will be taken one way or the other during the 2022 legislative session. That's why it's due today so that the legislators have plenty of time to digest it and read it prior to legislating on it when they convene uh, January 2nd. So I, I imagine that uh, this upcoming legislative session, if they're going to move on something, they'll, they'll do it. We remind our listeners, your representatives represent you. And if... If you have opinions about any legislative topic, it's your right. 
Uh, and I, some would say your obligation to let your legislators know how you feel about things. And we're so glad that MPB listeners are becoming educated on what options are and what the legislature has uh, coming up. So, you know, we always try to remind our listeners to know who your rep vote, know who your legislators are, who's in your Mississippi Senate representative, who your Mississippi House representatives, know who your the the who represents you in Washington. And if you have a strong opinion, one way or the other, let them know what your wishes are because we are a republic. They represent you, and you need to let them know your wishes. We want you to email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Judge Troy Odom today about the work of a new family law task force. Now, we heard just a bit ago some national statistics on marriage and divorce. What about Mississippi? I'm going to tell you that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This Giving Tuesday, you can turn intention into action by donating a vehicle to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Your gift supports entertaining and educational programs on MPB TV and Think Radio. And it's an easy way to participate in the global movement of giving. Call 877-MPB-4CAR or donate online at mpbf.careasy.org. The pickup is free and your gift is tax deductible. to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we do hope that you will subscribe to our podcast, or you can find Think Radio recordings online at mpbonline.org slash radio. What are the rates for marriage in Mississippi? It's 6.0 per 1,000 total population in the area. Uh, the national average was 6.1, but in Texas, it's 4.9. Not as many people get married in Texas, but in Nevada, it's 25.9. So I guess that's where everybody goes to that little white wedding chapel or, or whatever that is in, in Las Vegas. In Mississippi, the divorce rate is 2.6 per 1,000 population. Uh, uh, nationally, it's 2.7. But in Illinois, it's 1.3. Now, Nevada, uh, I guess some folks also go there to get divorced. It's 4.2. But Arkansas, our neighbor, is 4.0. 
this was information from the U.S. Center for Disease Controls from 2019. Now, the 2021 legislature established a task force to study Mississippi's domestic relations laws and to develop recommendations to the legislature and the Mississippi Supreme Court for the purpose of revising Mississippi's domestic relations laws and rules of court. Our guest today is Judge Troy Odom, and he's one of the co-chairs, a member of that task force, and we are so glad that he is with us today. Glad to be here. Judge, it's always good to have you on the show. And, and uh, by the way, I was, ta- I was telling you uh, during the first, before we started even, how much I enjoy your tweets that are about what happened, you know, some of the cases that come out on the, on the Chancery Court so people can stay informed uh, for, on your Twitter feed. Um, and now, you've also, you, you mentioned the recommendation regarding uh, divorce. You also, the test course also studied issues relating to child support and, uh, and you know, what are the issues you know, involving child support that you looked at? Man, I could talk about this all day, Dean. Uh, child support was one of the main issues that the legislature wanted us to look at. The problem with that, however, is that is huge. That is a monumentous task involving a lot of information. And with the uh, bill not going into effect until July 1, folks not getting appointed until mid to late August, uh, and then having that report due December 1. There wasn't a lot of time to look at it, but we did our best. And these were the issues. There are three different ways of calculating child support used by states throughout the United States. Uh, We in Mississippi use the percentage of income model, which merely takes a percentage of the non-custodial parent's income, and then the court then has the, the discretion to add healthcare expenses, daycare or school-related expenses, or any extraordinary expenses to the regular child support payment to come up with what the non-custodial parent's going to pay. Three states, Delaware, Montana, Hawaii, they use a, uh, a Melson formula, which is a very complicated formula uh, that takes into account a lot of factors. The majority, the vast majority of states use what's called a shared income model, which is a more holistic approach to calculating what child support is. It starts with the base of that child is entitled to and should be awarded the same amount of support that that child was enjoying during the intact marriage, which means you take into account not only the non-custodial parent's income, but also the custodial parent's income. And you automatically include healthcare expenses. You automatically include daycare or extraordinary school expenses uh, to come up with a base. Uh, it, It sounds very attractive, particularly for legislators talking with their constituents to go to a more holistic approach. I imagine they have non-custodial parents that are upset that, you know, the child support doesn't take into account uh, maybe what the custodial parent has or enjoys uh, or can provide for the child. Um, It's not about keeping the child on the same track uh, of level of support that the child enjoyed during the marriage. It's about what they're making. So, 
uh, it was an important topic that we wanted to really dive into and, and see if we couldn't make a recommendation on whether to go with the majority of other states that, that use the shared income approach. Uh, unfortunately, there was just so much involved uh, from economics to uh, to really educating everybody on the task force as to what it was that we couldn't um, we couldn't make a recommendation yet. And we're going to strongly encourage that the task force continue beyond this year so that we can tackle that appropriately. Well, that's, you know, I, it's such an important issue and I know it's complicated. And then, you know, you have to, I know party, part of what you have to look at when you're uh, a transfer court judge is also the uh, property settlement. And that may impact even, you know, with, with someone not making as much income, they, the property settlement may have an impact on how much uh, support there is for the child as well. And that's, that's a person to person kind of thing. Well, right now it's very easy to, for a, a non-custodial parent to know what they're going to have to pay in child support, right? It's statutory. It's based on a percentage of what their income is. So that's not a point of contention. It gives certainty to them, and that's a good thing. It's good to know certainly what you're probably going to have to pay. Uh, the shared income approach still allows that a level of certainty. It just takes into account a lot more factors. Uh, in the end, however, the research that the task force did uh, do showed that in the end, the amounts were going to be about the same, whether you calculated it under a shared income as opposed to the percentage of income. Uh, uh, but And so we, we felt comfortable not being able to give a recommendation on it yet and studying it more. But it's definitely something that I, as the as the chairman of the task force, want to look into more, because I think that taking into account as many things as possible to try to maintain the standard of living for that child as best as the court can do is something we ought to look into. And it, it isn't really the standard uh, in general. I mean, when you think about uh, custody or, you know, uh, parental responsibility, you're looking at the best interest of the child. And, and, and so it sounds like that's what the task force wants to, wants to come up with. No doubt about it. Pole star consideration, Dean. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I, I, I so if you were to continue um, uh, this task force, and I hope you do, um, what other considerations uh, in terms of child support? For example, when does child support end in Mississippi? Hmm. Child support ends upon emancipation, uh, which, you know, is age 21 uh, in the state of Mississippi. We're one of, I think, two states where the age of emancipation is 21. Still, uh, I think two states, including Alabama, have 19 as their age of emancipation. Uh, and for and the rest of them, the overwhelming majority of states have a, a, a at 18 is the age in which a child becomes an adult for purposes of child support and other reasons. So is there any any thought? I mean, I, I know you couldn't address all these issues, but um, would there be a reason for the task force to recommend in the, in the future a lower age than 21? Uh, that's a great question. The task force looked at it this year, and uh, 
uh, let me put this, let me see how to say this. The, and the lead, and the, we had all, you know, we had chairman of uh, the chairpersons of Judd A in both the Mississippi Senate and State House that were involved in members of the task force as well. And it, they indicated that the legislature had been looking at lowering the age of emancipation to come more in line with the rest of the United States. They had been looking at it for a number of years and they were prepared to act on it or, or it, they, they anticipated acting on it during the 2022 legislative session. And so the task force left that to the legislature, legislators uh, to handle. Uh, since it looked like they were going to take it up anyway, we uh, focused our attention on other matters that we we knew we could make a recommendation on. So I would imagine uh, that you're going to be looking at, for something in those lines next year uh, from the Mississippi legislature. Before our hour is over, we'd love to take your questions. You don't get a chance very often to speak with a chancery court judge and ask questions about the marriage and divorce laws in Mississippi or how you think they should be changed or hear about what the task force is considering. We can take your questions on our email account, legalterms at mpbonline.org. What other family issues can you listen to on In Legal Terms podcast? I'm going to tell you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. And just a programming note, tomorrow... You're not going to hear Mississippi Edition or Fix It 101 because MPB is going to air the audio from the Supreme Court uh, hearing of Dobbs versus Mississippi. We've talked about that a couple of times on In Legal Terms. You can find that podcast. And In Legal Terms has talked about family law before. You can find our broadcasts about divorce and money 
from May of 2021, laws affecting children from March of 2020, divorce from March of 2020, child custody. show's information page we are talking with judge troy odom who was a guest on our show in august of 2020 to talk about the chancery court uh, and we do have a call we have a uh, julie from mobile from our neighboring alabama so julie we're glad that you've called in to in legal terms today what's your comment or question Thank you. Uh, I, I was curious. I missed the very first of this broadcast, so I'm, I'm curious about what is in place now as far as determining um, how much money is allocated every month. But I've, I have worked in the past with many women who were dependent on uh the system to make sure they got their money. And one of the biggest problems was that income, uh, if you're getting a percentage of someone's income, that is money that is determined by uh, the person's employer. If the person, if that man or woman is working and getting paid under the table, which happened a lot, then the uh, custodial parent has issues. And the other thing I, I was curious about is how many women are on this task force since they seem to be predominantly the uh, impacted by this? Uh, to answer the last question first, I would imagine, uh, gosh, I mean, I've got the task force in front of me. Uh, Angela Cockerham, Jennifer Schlogel, Donna Smith, Melissa DeFata, Leanne Turner, well uh, well over half, well over half of the members of the task force are female. Uh, uh, intelligent, incredibly intelligent and experienced females whose uh, opinions were uh, highly sought after and valued. I can assure you of that. And thank goodness we had so many uh, great, intelligent and experienced people on there. Uh, I would imagine that an employer could find themselves in incredibly hot water if they are found to be complicit with paying an employer or uh, yet an employee under the table in order to avoid payment of child support or any other thing. Uh, and always the court has the, the ability to impute income to some to a non-custodial parent if that non-custodial parent is not earning what they could possibly earn in order to support their child there are as far as this court is concerned a lot of tools available to make sure that nobody is trying to avoid uh, their obligation to support their children that's something that we take incredibly seriously i'm not going to let anybody get away uh, with uh shorting their child because that's who the money uh, is for it's not for the ex it's for the child for their, their 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 food their security the roof over their head the clothes on their body uh, uh, so if that's an issue uh, it needs to be brought to the court's attention and the court will address it i don't know a chancellor that won't uh that's a great point uh 
that you brought up. Did I hit every question that you had? Well, you did, but I, I, if I could make one more comment, I, one of the biggest problems, and I had two very good friends that I worked with before I retired, and both of those women's husbands uh, left the job they had and began to work for someone else and did not, you know, show the true amount of money that they were making. And both of these women attempted to go through the court system again, but the process, at least in Alabama, was very, very difficult. And they were having to deal initially with the Department of Human Resources, who was the agency that was overseeing the, um, because this money was taken directly out of these men's paychecks. And the the system was just overwhelmed with the um, number of cases and, you know, nothing was resolved for these women. You mentioned in your question the system, and I imagine that was, I figured that was the Department of Human Services over there in Alabama. You're absolutely right. Uh, even in Mississippi, and I'm sure in Alabama, uh, DHS is, uh, I want to say overworked, but they are busy, and they have a lot of cases that they have to do. And uh, I, I wish there were more resources available to assist the DHS here in prosecuting these cases. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I hear you. I, I know exactly what you're coming from, and I'm not quite sure how it is in Alabama, too, but it sounds pretty similar here in the state of Mississippi. But the, the judges I know are conscientious about it here and want to make sure that nobody is cheating the system or not paying their fair share. Thank you, Julie. Uh, we have time for one more call. Let's go to Todd in Jackson. Todd, we're so glad you're part of In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, I'll try to be brief, and, and I really don't have an opinion on this, but I wonder if the judge has a sense or an opinion about whether the two parties that are represented in the legislature are so ideologically driven to uh, very rigid base supporters that they're going to be impaired to um, to act uh, practically for the uh, for the majority of the of, of the people of Mississippi. Just curious. Well, in my opinion, the two members uh, on on the legislature that are part of the task force, the Judd A. Uh, chairpersons, are quite open-minded. Uh, they are not. I didn't uh, detect any kind of ideological bent. Uh, they wanted to do what was right. Uh, I think they were in line with everybody else on that task force who were not legislators. Uh, so I, mean, I didn't get that. I didn't feel like anybody was pushing an agenda down our throat. Uh, us, the, the judges and the lawyers, the practitioners were the ones that drove the policy discussions during the task force. So I didn't see any of that from our two legislatures. They were they were they were great, and in fact, they were quick to give up uh, leadership on the on the task force. That's encouraging news. Thanks very much. Yes, sir. 
Well, we have maybe one minute. <laughs> Do you have any final words you'd like to share with us about the work of the task force? Yeah, we made, uh, let me tell you the one other recommendation that we're making, and that was to suspend uh, accruement of child support payments for individuals who are incarcerated for more than 180 days. Uh, that way, you know, there's no realistic way of getting paid child support while you're or earning money to pay child support while you're incarcerated and we didn't want to uh, prevent incarcerated individuals who come out of incarceration to being able to pick up child support payments when they got out by having a massive debt load over their head that could not be extinguished in bankruptcy otherwise so that was just another recommendation that we made in order to help the people of the state of mississippi well, Judge Odom, we appreciate you being on In Legal Terms today. We're going to have you back in the new year. Thank you. I look forward to it. Great to see y'all and to talk to y'all. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Uh, thank you, Lisa Lancaster and Jay White and Java Chapman and everybody for helping get our show on. Thank you, Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.